I hint to all our guests that when they tweet about this later, if they want to say, in real life, surprisingly, Ian looks like Gregory Peck. He really just reminded exactly. me of. Yeah, just and casually I, I just won't in. deny no, it. I'll just be humbly like... quiet, build up uh, the mystique, <laughs> and then I can't be seen. That seems reasonable. <laughs> well, good, then I won't worry about panic cleaning the rest of my kitchen then. No, no, no. Although, if we could say that podcasts are an aid to productivity... Uh, so it helps with, you know, domestic tidy-up, then we'll just add that as a benefit. Well, welcome, dear listener, back to the podcast studio. And uh, thanks to modern technology, I'm pleased to welcome, in two dimensions and sound only, I'm afraid, Molly Dobson. So, Molly... General Manager, Managing Director of Curry's Business, welcome, welcome to the studio. It is such a pleasure to be here, even if only virtually this time around. I will happily get out of the house next time. Excellent. Well, this is the benefit, at least, of being able to come in. And we were just saying earlier on, just as well, this is sound, because in our listeners' ears, all rooms are tidy, the studio is lovely, I'm not covered in little bits of almond crust, so uh, that's good. Now, uh, there are a couple of things to dive into straight away, but let's start off. I want you to tell us a bit about you, first of all, and then lead us into the two words, curries and business, which people may not know how they fit together. So let's start off with you, Molly. Thumbnail sketch of how we got to here in career terms, please. Certainly. And, and just for the listener's reference, um, Ian was being very kind there, commenting on his own background and not being covered in almond crumbs, given that we have a four-week-old baby at our house. And so my entire background is chaos, pretty much. So Ian was just being kind, commenting it's on artistic, his background artistic. and not my own. Indeed. Uh, so career-wise, yes. And, and and it really is such an honor and a pleasure to join you guys today to talk about Curry's business, Beach and my career. But so currently, I am the general manager of Curry's business, which is the B2B or business-to-business side of what Curry's does. Now, I get very excited to talk about retail and B2B together, partly because it's it's almost a, a forgotten side of retail or a, a side of retail that people kind of just park over there. They know it exists, but they don't understand it. And it's not particularly exciting if you don't know it and you don't think about it. But once you get into the conversation around B2B and retail particularly and enablers for retail in that space, it is a really interesting and challenging part of the e-commerce and, and physical retail space that, God, once you start thinking about it, it's hard not to see what that opportunity is. So I've not always worked in the B2B side. I actually switched over partway through my time at Amazon. So I, I kind of grew up in in the retail environment ever since I finished at university, started in quite early. Um, and that was over at the Gap Inc. headquarters out in San Francisco working for Banana Republic brand. And I, I, I loved that as my start to my career and to retail in particular, because I think it's it's as I've gotten further along in my career, I've realized just how valuable it was starting there in terms of how they make decisions, how they use data, the systems, the tools, the automation, the tech behind it. And I, I entirely took that for granted at the time, thinking mm-hmm. that is just, that's basic. That's how we do things here. And then I realized it isn't. No, uh, so exactly. I, I, yeah, so I had a great start to my retail experience there. Um, and when I, when I left Gap Inc. in the U.S. to come over to the U.K. and, and go to business school back in 2009, I said, I'll you know I'll come for two years, 
I should change careers, don't want to work in retail anymore, I've kind of done that, I should probably work in finance or consulting or, you know, one of those sexy industries That's people so talk 2009. about. That's um, Isn't it? Yeah, really well-timed on that one. Just after um, 2008, exactly. Yeah, really, really great time to think about those career changes. So I, I did give a shot at trying to find another career path that might be interesting to me. And as I went through a lot of the interviews and everything of that sort, I realized, no, actually, you know what? I like retail. I like consumer goods. So let's stay here. Uh, so I did some time working for the Coca-Cola headquarters during my MBA, which was a brilliant experience, and then got hired by the Marks and Spencer head office oh. straight after the MBA. Yeah. And that was in a, a brand new program that they were building at the time. So Mark Bolland, who was running Marks and Spencer at that time, had a great idea to you know bring a few of us in and help with these really big initiatives that Marks and Spencer was running at the time to help make them a little more of a modern day retailer, incorporate better systems tools, kind of what I call the nerdy side of retail and the stuff that I really love. <laughs> and so I came in to, as part of this this group to work on that. Um, so that kind of blew out the water. Yeah, I'll only stay for two years because I worked for Marks & Spencer for another three years then mm. and eventually got picked up by Amazon in, in Europe. And that, that, that sounds role. like a robot pick and pack. Yeah, it was a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's it like was... select Molly, add to basket. Exactly. Let's move her over here, which was kind of what it felt like. So when I, a friend of mine from business school had said, yeah, you, you've had an interesting experience at Marks and Spencer. We can get into that one. Um, but I really think you would, you would like the environment at Amazon. You would like what they're trying to do, particularly in that fashion space. So had gotten in touch with the European recruiting team for Amazon. They were at the time trying to build out a new pan-European or central European organizational structure based out of Luxembourg. Mm. And the recruitment team had said, you know, what would you think about this role? Sounds incredible. What do you think about Luxembourg? <laughs> Haven't thought anything about Luxembourg up to this point, but let's give it a shot. And the conversations went so quickly from there, met the whole team, learned more about the opportunity, visited the offices and thought, yeah, this is this is something I have to do. So yeah, Amazon Robot came, picked me up and moved us over to Luxembourg. And wow. that was what kicked off my, my Amazon time. Because that used to be you know, when you were dealing with Amazon, mm. uh, you'd be chitty chatting away. And because in a corporate way, they were quite American, as in yes. lawyers first, and then once everything's signed, you can talk to a human. And I can remember joking when we saw this contract was based in Luxembourg under Luxembourg law, we're thinking, none of us know Luxembourg law, we could all be, you know, hanged as sheep smugglers or something, uh, adored if we're not careful. And <laughs> so that was me, that was me that got swept up A lot of googling yeah. to work out what yeah. we were signing in, uh, in Luxembourg. <laughs> so, I mean, that was quite, at the time, a two-way street because you know M&S was Amazonifying and Amazon was M&Sifying, so it was this sort of um, cross-pollination of the digital analytical business school world with mm -hmm. the reality of you know thousands of structured SKUs and hundreds and hundreds of stores, you know, sort of digital meeting reality really. Yeah. And I think what was interesting about the transition between them, because this was still in the B2C side of of all things retail. So when I was at Marks and Spencer, again, got to work on these really interesting project programs, you know, helping look at bringing in new merchandise financial planning tools and space planning tools and, and these sorts of things. But the last role that I actually did at Marks and Spencer was running digital marketing for women's wear, lingerie and beauty. 
So this was part of the premise of the program that I was brought in to do, which was, hey, you folks from business school, you, you've hopefully been trained pretty well. We should be able to pick you up and, and drop you into any part of this business, and you should be able to hit the ground running and be successful and do all these great things. Great in principle. And then you realize, oh, that's actually a lot harder than, than it sounds like. But the, the last role that I was moved into was running digital marketing. And that was actually my first time working in e-commerce or a digital retail environment. Everything up to that point had been oriented oh, of course around been physical retail. Yeah. Or, or before the buy button, you know, yeah. getting things buyable. So this was kind of the world that I knew. And then I moved into this digital marketing space. And women's wear, lingerie, and beauty is the, was the bulk of the sales of Marks & Spencer, at least mm -hmm. at the time when I was there. And that was such a culture change for me, thinking about how everything that I knew about retail and analyzing customers and making decisions, now I'm working in e-commerce. So if I hadn't had that role, I think the transition into Amazon would have been even more dramatic, trying mm -hmm. to go from Marks & Spencer to, to Amazon. But I had that kind of nice digital bridge in the middle. And then when I came to Amazon, it was building on all these things that I knew and, and loved. So I had the e-commerce side, all the data, the analytics, the tools, everything we were trying to do, but thinking about how to create a, a structure for Amazon EU to work across all countries together and buy smarter, distribute in a better way, price products more intelligently, manage promotions more intelligently from a pan-European fashion perspective. So I, I loved loved that transition into, into Amazon and culturally it just it worked for me and i think it's only because yes it's an american company but it's a european version of an american company which i think is a nice nice balance of the nice balance mm. of the two in the amazon space there so that was kind of my transition into into amazon and into luxembourg at the time so i mean it's interesting i'll call it an engineering approach because you know i think a lot of the work that buying merchandising teams it doesn't get enough love because it it is incredibly complicated and you would never have an off day but equally then these pan-european programs so I'm, I'm hearing a pattern-based engineering strong process technology background but still in the b2c world mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden someone says hey there's this great role in curry's business so I think there are two parts of this. Firstly, there's curries. So if you've grown up in the UK and, like me, you remember it last century, I think being gentle, you'd say that the curries brand has had its, you know, ups and downs, maybe, you know, in terms of where it fits in the market perception. And also, when you look at B2B, a lot of people think about supply chain and let's say, for example, I'm working for Porsche, I'm in supply chain, I'm buying brake pads. I've got a choice of three suppliers to very strict quality controls. I'm literally buying bits to go into something else. That's my job. Whereas when you're looking at something like Curry's, where you've got computers, phones, etc., I buy these seven days a week as a consumer. I know these global brands that are selling me consumer things. And I'm somehow in a semi businessy mindset. So let, let's deal with two things first of all. Curry's as a brand, what attracted you to it coming from, you know, one of the top five brands on the web to maybe not a top five brand, and then uh, the business bit. So Curry's, then business. 
Yeah. The transition, I guess, into it started still in my Amazon days, though, because I, I, I started with a fashion team over in Luxembourg, did a role with Amazon in Paris for a while, but my husband's job was still based in London. So we were just going between these three cities for the time the time that I was based in Luxembourg. And this was about two years. And that was a, that was a heck of a lot of fun because who wouldn't want to live in Paris a little bit, in London a little bit, in Luxembourg a little bit. It's fun until you get tired. And then at that point we said, you know what, let's put our life back in one city again. We let's did settle back. Luxembourg. Well, we, you know, I actually, I love Luxembourg and I, I will bore you to tears with why we loved Luxembourg. But at the time there were more opportunities happening for, for me and for my husband's job in, in London. And so started putting feelers out at Amazon saying, hey, I'm looking at relocating back. What's What's going on over here? And this was right about the time that Amazon was getting ready to launch Amazon Business in Europe. Mm. And I knew the concept of it because, you know, we'd heard the stories where it was coming from, what the opportunity looked like. And the more I looked into what the what the market segment looked like, what the, the business model looked like, what Amazon was trying to do, I thought, this just sounds fun. Let's do it. And so I made that switch over to B2B during my Amazon time when I came back to, to London. So moved into a role running uh, a part of the, the business buying team, and then switched over to the customer facing side to actually run Amazon business itself. So the the website, the business, everything of that sort, ending with my role as the UK and Ireland general manager for Amazon business. And it was as interesting and as exciting to live that as I thought it was, you know, years before when I thought, oh, right. let's give it a shot. So I'm just going to yeah. pause you there. I like to put my customer hat on now. So as somebody Good. who... Uh, whose thumb has been worn out by one-click ordering of, you know, all the very many necessities in a modern life. I keep getting these emails saying, hey, Ian, do you want to become an Amazon business person? Uh, as if I need another login, you know, no thank you. But it does show the fact that because it's so much part of life, you're ordering as someone with a hobbyist, someone getting windscreen wipers of the car, somebody buying stuff for their kids, school materials, Absolutely. Uh, bits of kit. And, you know, when I talk to my accountant, of course, all the the electronics are entirely wholly and necessarily for work. So some things do get recharged, but I've never quite decided, okay, I need to have a business account because it sort of all merges into one. Yeah. So for me, Amazon business is the perfect example of what a business account isn't mm -hmm. so i'm willing to believe it, it's defined a whole new area but then when you look at curries where you have a very similar setup where people might be buying a three-in-one fax scanner printer for their home office yeah yeah next thing you know we're all running home offices we're all buying six laptops rather than one so is there a, a literally a straight step off from this weird munge up of business that Amazon has to this slightly weird business that Curry's has. Is, is this like the new thing? And are they sort of related? I hope it's the new thing and the next thing because that gives me some job security. Um, with the with you mentioned the word kind of weird, the weird and wonderful. We talked about that at Amazon Business all the time, where depending on the type of organization that you run, you could be a sole proprietor, you could be a multinational enterprise company, you all need to buy stuff to do your job. And it could be technology, it could be blue roll, if you're running a pub, it could be anything. And yeah. the more you start thinking about you go out this weekend, Ian, and you'll be at the supermarket, or you'll be at a shop, or you'll, you'll go through your office on the way home today, and you just look around and think, where did all this stuff come from? 
Well, you bought it from somewhere to run your business. And the more you start thinking about all the things that touch your business life, it, it could start with a laptop, it could start with that microphone and headphones that you've got on. And it just sort of expands from there to anything, anything you need mm. to run your business. Where does that come from? So Amazon Business was awesome at saying, hey, it's the weird and wonderful. It's the stuff that you don't have a contracted supplier for. You're not buying in bulk. You just need, you're running an event today and you need pink flamingos for your um, pool party that you're hosting at a hotel. Where do you go to get that? I need to you're, come to your meetings. I know, I know. <laughs> Actually, we had a lot of fun seeing seeing kind of the, the big trends and things that organizations would buy and what type of organization would buy it. So that's the Amazon space. It's a weird and wonderful. It's it's tailspin. It's all the miscellaneous sorts of things. Right, but now, it's weird, wonderful, yeah. delivered yes. that day quite often. Absolutely. At, uh, incredibly competitive prices. Yep. With Easy. rock solid delivery. Easy. That, that also, for 20 years, we've been trained in understanding and expecting. Mm -hmm. So... I don't want to say you had it easy at Amazon. That, that's just a ridiculous thing to say. But what I mean is you had a customer base, you had you the did. data, you could slide Absolutely. into it. Yeah. Whereas when you look at Curry's, this used to be a place of sparse stock ranges, mm -hmm. labels with empty product shelves, sticky floor, and maybe a dubious reputation for product knowledge and depth. I'm just saying, maybe. So... This is where it gets interesting thinking about, well, why why Curry's then? I had this, you know, great life at Amazon Business. We were doing awesome things. We had a lot of the technology and there's so much more to do. That team is amazing and that organization is amazing at selling you the stuff that you, you want to get right in that moment. Where we had a harder time was thinking about that physical side of it. So how do we add services onto the products we sell you? Well, that's actually much harder because you're running a marketplace model. You don't have the ability to attach services to product in the way that you can if you run an organization such as Curry's, for example. So when Curry's came along and said, hey, we see all that stuff you're doing at Amazon and Amazon Business, we've got a big opportunity here. Think about it from an omni-channel or multi-channel into omni-channel perspective, if you could service business customers with a, a website, like you've got at Amazon, with 50 plus physical stores, with a service network, with the capability to do things such as recycling your technology for you, you've got your own customer service team, your phone sales-based team, and my ears pricked up and I thought, oh, wait a second, now this actually sounds, this sounds like something I want to do because throughout the whole of my career, I've always worked on one channel at a time. It's been physical or it's been mm. online, but never shall the two plus meet, including, yeah. and then add on social, add on all the other channels. And, and business buyers shop loads of different channels when they choose who to buy what from. Of course. So, so when Curry's came along and said, hey, what do you think about this? We want to bring this all together under a single threaded leader into this one big business unit, servicing organizations across the country. Do you want to be a part of this? And I thought, yeah, I I sure do. Um, so it was a, a really fantastic time to come over to Curry's and think about bringing all of these different channels together and being thoughtful in what we were trying to do, who we were trying to service and what we could do. And the part you mentioned around the Curry's reputation, the business has gone through so much change over the years where it started with, you know, the original Curry 130 years ago with a bike store. And then that kind of grows up in its own. And then Dixon's starts off, grows up in its own channel. Carphone Warehouse starts off, grows up in its own channel. And they all start coming together into this single organization. And it was only in 2021 that they rebranded all of those as Curry's. So it's only been a couple of years that all of that became 
curries and bringing the best of all those different worlds together, addressing things that customers might not have liked in the past. Now, this is curries, the B2C side. This whole time, there's been a B2B thread running through all of these different business units. And it could be under different names, PC World Business, Carphone Warehouse for Business, um, Curries for Business, all these different names. Now, my part of the organization also came together under a single threaded brand in 2021. So just before I joined called mm -hmm. Curry's Business, but we didn't really talk about it. We didn't talk about it because the team was kind of just getting on and servicing organizations the way that they could. And the, the huge power, I think, in Curry's is the ability to not just sell you the laptop or the, the kit, the tech, but actually sell it to you in a way that helps you hit the ground running as a business. So you want a laptop. Hey, guess what? We can image and configure laptops for you. You want to get a TV for your pub. Did you know that we can do installation for you? Or you work for a local council and you have commitments that you need to make or meet around managing your sustainability and your environmental impact. Hey, did you know that we actually responsibly recycle your tech for you? And so mm. that's where Curry's has just been doing this in the background, but we've not been talking about it up to this point. So when I <laughs> when I joined, there was actually quite a good um, broad customer base and depth of relationship with these customers because there was a human element to it that my team really sought out to understand the business customers as individual entities and know how they shopped and know what they wanted and be able to create a solution for them that was products and services. And we just didn't have the bandwidth to do that at, at Amazon yeah. Business. so. Amazon business is awesome. Get online, buy whatever you need. It'll be there probably before you even realize it. At Curry's, it's much more, let's help you figure out what you actually need and not buy what you don't. So there's yeah. there's much less of that sense of buyer's remorse. Did I did I actually get what I needed? Because that's what the people are there to help you <laughs> yeah. do. So it's, it's a really different way of thinking about servicing businesses. Okay. So I think that's that's very well put and you know, that that picture's come to life. But it gives another one, which is, I, I know we see Amazon as a bit of a, a trebuchet of stuff. So, you know, you just release it and kaboom, this thing is catapulted towards you at incredible speed and accuracy. So that's one thing. But you're talking about a much more involved relationship. Mm -hmm. And with that comes problems. So again, I, I'm oversimplifying, but if Amazon is sending out four boxes of A4, it doesn't really care whether it's to your home office, Molly, or to you know the headquarters of a government department or you know British Gas. It doesn't care because it's order focused. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned in your examples, ranging from an entrepreneur or or micro business right up to a massive government department, mm -hmm. even talking to those needs different expertise yeah. uh, to understand their domain context, problems, challenges, and so on. So you've just brought on your own head mm. an incredible challenge of reputation, of staffing, of knowledge, which other companies or digital only just don't have. So yeah. how do you structure your team to sort of make the most of all of these areas of expertise without, you know, funding knowledge and training for, uh, you know, UK PLC? Yeah, it is a massive challenge. And I think that's the kind of challenge that I want, though, because separate out the knowledge of the product and the knowledge of the, the customer and the industry segments. Knowledge of product is 
truly phenomenal at curries. And this is one of the things I think that has impressed me so much once once I got inside and started meeting the teams, those out in the stores, those that run the website. If Ian, you went in and you said, hey, you know, my wife needs a new laptop or my my daughter is moving into a new new flat and wants a washing machine. Here is kind of what he or she needs. Which one do you think I should get? They would be able to actually answer that question because they know the types of products. And once you've described their your need, they have no problem matching products to your need. So that's that's just kind of the, the core of what Curry's does. And I've been blown away by how real that tech expertise actually is once you're on the inside. Now, the challenge is, how do you take that to a new customer segment that hasn't come in and said specifically, hey, here's what I need? Yeah. If you if you do that, we've nailed it. Now, this is where Amazon is, is built to scale. It's fantastic. My Curry's business world, we need to figure out how to scale because we provide such a deep level of service today yes. that you think, how do you maintain that, but also grow that at the same time? So part of the structure of the team, I will always want to have a physical presence in my Curry's business organization. Anyone that says, oh, no, everyone just shops online. Why do you even need stores? Why don't you get rid of them? You're missing a trick here because people do have questions when it comes to technology in particular. So being able to come in and touch and feel and test things out and talk to someone and bounce around ideas, there is real value behind that. So I will Mm -hmm. always want to have a physical presence for Curry's business. And at the same time, not everyone wants to come into a store. You might want to just shop online today, or maybe you're even the the sort of person that wants to pick up a phone and say, hey, can I just talk this through with you because I'm shopping online today and I just have a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. If I can understand how organizations like to shop Curry's business, I can ensure that my channel structure is set up accordingly. Product knowledge is already there. Once you come into contact with the customer, great, we've nailed it. But I need to have a channel strategy that says you can self-service if you want to because that's how you scale. But when you need help, how can I make sure that is available to you in an optimal way? And the the human-human interaction, you can actually do that online today. You've got a, a Curry's business website. You click a button that says shop live. You get something just like this. We're looking at each other and we're talking, but we're each in our respective locations. Mm. Great. Maybe that's your version of, of service. Or maybe you do want to come into a store because you want to see what something looks like or how it sounds or how it runs before you put it in. So product knowledge there, that takes training. That's working with the brands like we do today. And those relationships are are good. There's great value in the brands wanting to come in and teach that tech expertise. Then I've got my channel structure that I put in place. And then there's the customer segmentation part. Because like you say, it is going to be very different if my team is trying to service a central government organization from a private sector sole prop down the street because you just have different things that you care about and you shop in different ways. So starting to build in that specialty knowledge is just something that I've started on in this past year since I joined Curry's because we do have such a big presence in public sector schools in particular and local councils. But all of that knowledge has just been held within the individuals themselves and nothing that we've been able to create sort of a a playbook for how to do that. So now that we've started going deeper into public sector, getting involved and being approved for different framework agreements and winning some of the bids and tenders that we go out and present against, this now says, great, it's not about you as an individual knowing how to do this. I need to have a foundation that says we can do this more. And if you left tomorrow, the team would still be able to do that. So it's only within the last, I'm going to say six months even, that we've really put a conscious effort towards building out specific expertise with public sector and education in particular. Beyond that, we've said there's a little bit of that specialization, but that's going to take time for us to get there. 
Okay, so we're, we're, we're peeling away layers of discovery here on our B2B onion. We've looked at the processy sides and the, if you like, the sort of business-neutral process mapping skills. We've looked at the getting product. We've looked at digital marketing. But now we're in this other area of the more nebulous expertise of a business. So this sounds like it's... Um, both a challenge and mm. a major resource if you get it right. Yeah. So we're talking layers above, you know, just Q&A, FAQs, uh, chat-based scripted support. It's codifying that industry knowledge, product knowledge, customer knowledge mm-hmm. in one place. That sounds like a new hard problem. So is yeah. it uh, an exciting one? Any any breakthroughs you're thinking this is a new way of doing it or is it very much a case of bringing it together in ways that conceptually are already known? I think part of the challenge is not destroying what is so good about Curry's business today because it'd be easy for me to come in with my with my Amazon hat on and say, oh, everything, it's about data, it's about doing things at scale, it's you know automation, it's hands off the wheel. Of course, I love automation and machine learning and hands off the wheel. I can't, I can't help it. Again, the nerdy side of me. <laughs> However, the human element, like I, I can't chalk that up enough that that is really what makes Curry's business special. When I go out and I, I talk to customers and we've done a couple of customer interviews and testimonials and you hear the way they speak and they come to us because they, they trust us to help them in the way that they need. And I don't want to ruin that with too much automation or too much anonymity of everything being, you know, mass and at scale and faceless, I got to keep some of that together. So codifying things is what I need to do in order to help that business grow and service more customers. But I need to be very conscious in doing that in a way that still works with what is true and what is good about Curry's and Curry's business today. So it's a fun challenge because if I can marry the two of those together where Mm. you can have that that positive personal experience and that trust in someone that you're going to buy 75 laptops from this week because you got to you got to trust your supplier in order to to do that at the same time I want to be able to sell 75 laptops to this one down the street and that one up the street and this business over here if you can do the two of those together then you've got something really powerful and that's what we're trying to build good 1 plus 1 equals 3 here's hoping so um let's talk then about outlook if you think over the last four years, you've had businesses downsizing, like the mm-hmm. big corporate head offices, yeah. but then every working individual has a mini Cape Canaveral Capcom in their spare room now. So we're seeing growth on one hand, decline on another. Both sets are changing, it seems, every year. You know, I, I wouldn't like to be the person having to make a bet on where the market's going. So I'm going to ask you to do that instead. Uh, <laughs> as, as, you, as you look at the market, you know, for the next planning period, is this uh, an exciting time? You know, what do you think is going to be the trend in that sort of B2B consumption rather than, um, you know, buying for our own enjoyment or entertainment? If I think really just practically about the answer to that question, I will always say that the business market segment as a whole is going to be more resilient than the consumer segment in many ways. And mm. the reason for that is, yes, we have we have seen a lot of businesses struggle, a lot of businesses close down, 
and new businesses open at the same time. That's just, that's how things work now. It's always been the case, but the last couple of years with the pandemic, with the cost of living crisis, with a lot of things happening, we're seeing an acceleration of that, but that, that concept already existed. Some businesses don't make it and need to close down and other businesses spring up all the time. In a steady state though, if you think about buying patterns, your business needs to continue running. Now, if I were lucky enough to work for your team and I had my work laptop and my work laptop we stuff have, We running, have openings for you, Molly, don't worry. I know, I know, we should take this <laughs> offline. If I, if my work laptop stopped running and I, I called you and said, Ian, my, my laptop stopped working today. If you said to me, uh, I mean, you can get by without it for like a few days a week, right? Or could you just buy a new one for yourself and I'll, I'll pay you back later? I would think, no, you can go kick rocks. This is my work laptop, so it should be my work that funds it. And there, there is that element of you just need things to do your job. And in a work environment, you'll be more inclined to replace things very quickly when they get broken. Now, in my personal life, if my iPad slowed down or stopped running, it's, if I were concerned about funds this month, I might say, well, it's irritating, but I can wait until next month to, to get a new yeah. one. Yeah, it's it's much easier to, I think, delay purchases in some way, unless it's a crisis purchase, your refrigerator stops working. doesn't matter if you're personal or professional at that point, you need what you need. <laughs> but there is definitely that sense of in a business environment, you need products to keep running your business, especially when it comes to technology, like what Curry's business sells with mm. laptops and phones, or you run a bed and breakfast. Well, guess what? You need to have kitchen appliances that work. So there's there's more of that need-based buying in a business space than in consumer. So even when there's a downturn, the economy gets tough, cost of living crisis hits, energy prices are through the roof, you might be more conscious about what you buy and you might make different decisions. Well, rather than the pro laptop, I'm just going to get a bog standard laptop because it does what I need it to do for now. You might make trade-offs and trade-downs. But you're but not you going to do that one. Yeah. Mm. So we've talked a lot about pushing things out, buying, buying, but uh, you mentioned sustainability. So I'd like to just come back to that because yeah. the two sizes, firstly, you work in quite a regulated area. So not only are your products type approved for safety, but they're controlled in terms of end of life, recycling, recyclability and so on. Yeah. So there's that whole sort of legal framework, but also because you're not just sending someone something and walking away, you have a business relationship with them around success, repeat purchase and so on, then you're dealing with a sort of sustainable service with a small S as well as a capital S. So how do you look at both broad and specific sustainability in the service you're providing to businesses? Anytime we talk about sustainability, it is not just a, a buzzword concept to me. And if, if anyone wants to talk about greenwashing, yeah, nobody wants to be intentionally misled. But at the same time, I'd rather go down trying to do something good than not try at all. So when it comes to sustainability, I feel very strongly that as a supplier to other organizations, we have a responsibility and an obligation to help organizations achieve their own goals when it comes to sustainability or ESG or whatever it might be. So as a supplier, I should be able to help other organizations achieve their own their own goals in addition to doing it for ourselves. So if I think about our capabilities and what we can do, it'd be very easy as a retailer to say, nah, it's on you. We're just going to sell you stuff in 
you know, it's yours <laughs> once it's yours. Yeah, you dig a but hole that, and throw it away afterwards. Yeah, so <laughs> be it. But that doesn't really help with the kind of relationships that we want to have, like you say, which is you come back to us every year to get a new version of something or you buy from us for the long term. So what capabilities do I have and what can we do? Well, again, going back to that product knowledge part, we can help inform you on how you can extend the life of your technology and how you can use your technology smarter. So how do you use the ratings on your washing machine and your refrigerator to reduce your your carbon footprint in that sense or reduce your energy consumption? How do you extend the life of it, like I said, so you don't have to buy a, a new one this year? Well, guess what? We can help repair your tech for you so you don't have to replace it. Or we can help you understand how to get more life out of it. And that's kind of an odd thing for a retailer to do to say, hey, actually, instead of selling you a new one, we're going to have you extend the life yes. of your old one. But at the <laughs> same time, if you like that and you trust us, then you'll come back to buy from us eventually when you do want to get a new one. And then that whole idea of, I talked about this at an event recently, I hate the concept of the last mile as we traditionally talk about it because the last mile in getting the product to the customer, it's only the last mile for this part of the for life cycle of, of that product. Yeah, is. like there's still a whole life of this product here and then the end of life of that product, what do you actually do so it doesn't end up in, in landfill? And that's where I think there there is a huge service, be a capital S or a small S, on an organization that can help you take back that technology, break it down, recycle it, reuse it, repurpose it, do something with it so it doesn't just sit on the side of the road or in a landfill or something of that sort. So if you think about how a retailer works and services consumers or businesses, walk through that whole of that process and think about what are my capabilities or what could my capabilities be to be more of a partner to you in terms of how you buy, use, and then dispose of technology when you're done with it. Now, until someone tells me otherwise that, no, that's a total pipe dream, it's a waste of your time, I still might do it anyway. But until somebody can tell me that that doesn't have impact, then I am going to believe that my organization has a responsibility and an obligation for helping provide those services. Mm. Great. Well, couldn't agree or be more supportive uh, of that. So um, I can't believe the clock and how it seems to have disappeared. Uh, we've covered so much stuff at pace, and it's been quite eye-opening. I think this uh, the two things standing out for me are firstly the the broader business, so not just supply chain and manufacturing, but broad business endeavour. And I think then the other thing that's been fascinating is is all the areas that are changing. So as you think, right, we finished the studio now. I'm going to crack on. What's exciting you amidst all of these initiatives? If you had to pick one thing, say I cleared your diary magically for three months, but you could pick one project that you put back in because you love it so much, it's so much fun, what would that thing be that uh, you put into your magically created spare time? You know, I'm going to go onto the tech side of this because all of the things that I would want my team to do as an organization is going to be dependent upon our ability to really understand and communicate with our customers. And that core tech is something that I need. It's having a real single view of the customer, understand what they're buying, what they're telling us. Capturing voice of customer feedback is fundamental to everything we want to do. And right now I do that in you know hundreds of different Excel spreadsheets. In order for my team to really be able to unlock the power of what they could do, I need that right tech foundation. And it could be, it's the systems, it's the tools, it's the data, it's the reporting. Because if I can spend three months getting that right, 
I don't know which tech partner will do that for me in three months, but let's say in a magic <laughs> world they did. All of the other big dreams and big plans that I have are something that we could do in a scalable and a sustainable way because we're doing it on the right foundation. So three months, I can either focus on keeping my new small human alive or implement uh, a tech <laughs> foundation for Curry's business. One of those two, though. Okay, well, I, I won't put you on the spot uh, because in, in years to come, <laughs> your your child will listen to mm. this and will judge you based on <laughs> on what you choose. That seems fair. Uh, look, that seems fair. Molly, it, I'm so pleased you took the time to join us today. It's been uh, a, a real race through so many topics. I think the takeaways really are, you know, this area where it's not just about pushing products out, but where expertise and service come together with a sustainable view. Changing my view of Curry's business only for the better, I'm sure our listeners too. I hope you come back uh, and we'll catch up in the studio to see what did happen and which choice you made and the progress there. <laughs> but for now, uh, Molly, thank you so much. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for having me. 